Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton, and today I'm joined by film and content specialist Cam Maitland and film and culture writer Rad Simon Pillay. I am, admittedly, not much of a sports fan. I watched hockey when I waited tables to get better tips, and I used to go see the Vancouver Giants play on a regular basis, but gathering with a bunch of folks to cheer for the home team has never really been my idea of fun. That being said, when I was talking to my partner about this episode's premise, I realized that I really, really like a lot of sports movies. Goon and Slapshot are both movies I've seen multiple times and find delight in, and even in the documentary world, When We Were Kings is easily in my top ten. There's something about the combination of dynamic and driven characters, high-stakes conflict, and complicatedly choreographed action filmmaking that I really, really love. And we're going to look at two movies today that are full of action. But first... Rad, you're a celebrated film critic who has seen many a movie. What do you think makes an effective sports film? What do you like in them? Well, here's the thing, though. Like, I don't feel like sports film is necessarily a genre or a category. You mm. know what I mean? Like, like I mean, yeah. When it when it does feel like it's following the rules of a sports film category, that's typically mm. when it's pretty generic, right? When you have the typical underdog story of of a team that looks like they're down and out and, and strives to, <laughs> and then finally makes it out on top, like that. Yes, that's the the narrative we all know but for me i mean the sports when you tell me ask me about sports movies the movie like one movie that immediately comes to mind is michael mann's ali like yeah. okay so that's a sports movie but that's a movie about history that's a movie about black history that's a movie about revolution and civilization and, and, and it's just a beautiful beautiful character study right it's not by any means the kind of thing that focuses on your traditional underdog sports story right um so i mean i think like you know i mean just the fact that it has to do with sports makes it a sports movie but these movies could be any of any genre do you guys remember like i mean let's go back to like the mid 90s like do you sure. remember a movie called the fan yeah <laughs> yeah would you call the fan a sports <laughs> true, movie true, right yeah. like but it, it's a stalker movie yeah. it's a thriller it's like, it's like major league it, a sports movie I can't, I <laughs> yeah know. yeah it's Damn. like it's a movie about major league baseball but at the same time it's closer to uh <laughs> what's that what's that de niro movie where he's in the theater chuckling oh, like yeah. um Oh, Cape, yeah, Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Yeah. yeah, it's like the Cape Fear of sports movies, yes, right? Yes. So it's like, so like, I mean, I, I should. What's what would be the Nightmare of Elm Street of sports movies? Yeah. Right? Like, there's like the the bad yeah. news there bears. It's all in yeah. this kids' heads. So yeah, like, they're just killing off kids one at yeah, a time. So I think I think this is just a template that you could tell so many different kinds of stories, and and maybe the sports the sports element of it it just always provides this kind of great enduring metaphor for the different obstacles we face in life, you know, and. Well, and it's always high stakes and it's always a way to immediately get people invested mm -hmm. in something. I want this person to win because I care about this team and it all automatically you're being thrown into some sort of conflict because sports are yeah, conflict. Yeah. So that's automatically driving well, the yeah. stakes. Even think about something like Strictly Ballroom, which is technically a sports sure. movie. No one else cares about ballroom dancing the way those characters <laughs> care about thing, ballroom right? Like dancing. a dance movie is sort of an extension yeah. of the sports movie, especially, you know, when we talk about, yeah, I'm, I don't, okay, I'm a huge fan of the Step Up franchise. Yeah, okay, sure. guys, And that's mm -hmm. essentially a sports movie right yeah. and, and step up bring it on these are all you're taking those conflicts and you're applying it to a streamlined like you said conflict narrative like something you know and it's it, the same goes for action movies right you take the conflict between characters and you put them on a bus that cannot go <laughs> below 50 miles per hour and you have a genius yes. masterpiece right and you don't it's call like, it a bus movie yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> the interesting thing i think you you point out too is like when you go to the world of documentary there's like the idea of like a competition documentary these days is a real easy sell on Netflix and stuff, but that can extend to anything from like big stuff like the Donkey Kong one to like uh, cat shows and stuff like that. Like they just know that 
if you put a competition at the center of a documentary, it makes for a compelling narrative. Well, one of the things I love so much about When We Were Kings is I actually didn't know how the rumble in the jungle <laughs> ended. So at the end of it, I was like, does he do it? And I'm far enough away from it that like I yeah. didn't know George Foreman as like a pit bull toting chains <laughs> and like, you know, the hat and the entourage. All I know of him is a smiling guy who sells grills. Wow. So that was like a whole other point of view. But then the boxing is so beautifully shot and it's like and it's live. Mm. So you don't mm. actually know like what angle should I have the camera at? What should I, how should I be capturing this moment? And they do it. And that's the thing I think that's so special about sport movies that takes it beyond that genre and why it's a specific genre is it's so carefully mm. choreographed, which we're going to get into in both of our films today because both of them shoot the action so incredibly. Yeah. Sure. All right, so let's get into this, because our first movie today is one that I did not expect to require half a box of tissues to get through. And when my partner came home, he found me on the couch with my dog on my lap, just abjectly sobbing. And he said, good movie? And I said, yes! <laughs> and then I started crying all over again. And I proceeded to tell everyone who would listen how great this movie is and that they needed to go watch it. Love and Basketball did the same thing when it sparked a bidding war over the script when it was read at the Sundance Institute. And on its release, developed a huge cult following that has inspired a viral marriage proposal, fashion line seasons, and you can even still buy jerseys for both the lead characters of Monica and Q. A debut feature for Gina Prince Bythewood, she was inspired to make a black When Harry Met Sally. I love When Harry Met Sally, and I see the seeds here, but it should be noted this is something magic totally on its own. Cam, I am gushing here like I do over stuff I love. Am I overselling this? Am I overselling this? No, no, I I think it's uh, totally fair. I also think it's like it's it's I think even gone beyond cult status because I yeah. think it's like uh, especially like uh, for African-American audiences, it's just a, a classic, one of the best films of the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, 2000, I guess, even. But I don't know what you call that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a great movie, both as a sports film, which I think sometimes it doesn't quite get the props for. But I think as a romance, it's like considered just one of the great regardless of race because there aren't a lot of straight romances uh, that aren't rom-coms in this era so it's this kind of like yeah just a great movie and also the other thing we should talk about with these two movies is these are two independent films that did very well that are also debut features for women directors um so yeah it's this kind of amazing sort of classic romance and also it's it's a wild movie because everybody is famous you know yes <laughs> like now it seems like a movie chock full of celebrities but at the time it was it was like yeah they were giving a, a first shot to a lot of these films. hey wait now now you you said both films did we already in mention what the second film is or uh, we... i mean it's in the title, oh, it's in the title. Okay, uh, right. <laughs> sorry i don't i am new to this podcast i am so sorry no, it's no, like, we're, we're cam you're giving it away first. stop sorry, it sorry, girlfriend yes. was supposed I'm to be not a giving secret. anything away i'll only tease i'll only tease <laughs> I won't say the name, um, but yeah, no. I, I so I think Love and Basketball now it's it played on TV constantly too. Maybe you know Sonal Lathan's father involved in BET had a hand in that, but uh, you know uh, I I think it's just a movie that everybody knows now. It's going to the Criterion Collection in September, so it's like is yeah, it really? Something. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, they announced it. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. It yeah, deserves exactly. It, I, it's, yeah. it's a it's a nice one there too. It's like yeah, yeah. this movie does roll. You know, the Academy also did a twenty year anniversary. Um, interview with the cast, sure. uh, the female cast and the, the filmmaker um, with uh, Patty Jenkins uh, moderating yeah. it, which is excellent. That's on YouTube if people want to check that out and learn more about it. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a great little story about it. Yeah. You know what's yeah. funny? I mean, I, I kind of mentioned this to you brief uh, before, Becky. It's just that, like, I didn't, I didn't appreciate it enough when it first came out, mm. right? And and this is partly, I mean, I, this partly has to do with, I guess, the time of, like the time that I was in in my life. You know, I was 18 years old. Mm. I was just about to head to college. It was a lot of things. And I wasn't as involved, or I wasn't as attentive to movies at the moment, right? But but so like, for me, like Love and Basketball, like uh, it kind of came at the tail end of this sort of interesting arc of black made black centered movies right if you and if we're talking about this arc we could let's let's start back at the 90s like first of all spike lee is its own thing thing, right like spike lee is spike lee he makes movies like do the right things he continues he he makes movies that are very singular and stuff right but then you had this uh the wave from like 91 uh and stuff like the new the what they call new jack cinema you know movies like boys in the hood that you know we're we're reacting to that moment after the rodney king's you know during the rodney Mm -hmm. king's riot like or leading up to the rodney king's riot reacting after the rodney Things, right you had this wave of black cinema but a lot of it 
focused on kind of gang violence and South Central stuff, right? You think mm-hmm. of movies like, like, well, the movie's called South Central and Dead Presidents yeah. and, <laughs> and Juice and Boys in the Hood, but after Boys in the Hood, what was the other one that they, a lot of people love to quote? Menace to Society. It was, it was all yes, about, yes. and And the first sports movie that I remember of that comes out of that area era was Above the Rim, right? With Tupac and yeah. stuff. And there, mm-hmm. there you go. That's another underground like like a, a an underdog uh, sports story, but then set against uh, the environment of New Jack Cinema with like you know Tupac Shakur playing this like ruthless gangster running the basketball game and mm-hmm. stuff. And so like like so that's where that's where I guess the arc was around the mid '90s, and then you started getting more of these female centric films. But first of all, Set It Off was one of them, which kind of took the crime mm-hmm. love stuff but made it about women. And then you had like you know Soul Food and Waiting to Exhale. Ex- reverse order waiting to exhale yeah. came first <laughs> yep. and soul food and and it's movies that were powered by their soundtracks by the way like a lot of totally. a lot of what connected us to these movies was like ooh, like that 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 soul food ha- soundtrack has that sick drew hill song the space jam mm-hmm. soundtrack by the way that we should be talking about had like all the rappers and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know like it was like these are the yeah. things that you know like set it off had this amazing on vogue song that brought us to it right so love and basketball to me came at the tail end of all of that Totally. And in some ways, I just kind of took it as yet another one of those movies before it receded into the background. And I don't think mm-hmm. I appreciated, I think, what, what what I realized going back to it 20 years later. Like, I didn't appreciate a lot of the sensitivity and how, how incredible Sanaa Lathan's performance is. And, and, and just, yeah. I mean, like you mentioned it, this is a female filmmaker handling mm. a story about sports about a woman in sports and she handles it with a sensitivity and, and, and with a like a, with a nuance that we hadn't seen at that point you bring up spike lee as kind of being like spike lee is his own unit sure. spike lee was driving a lot of these movies including this one and uh soul food mm-hmm. he was his production company is all behind this and he was very much about finding uh movies that were not just about like inner city black people but definitely about like this is a movie that takes place in the suburbs with several affluent black families which you don't often get to see on yeah. film and so he's driving these other stories and other narratives, making sure that people are able to see these and these stories are told. He rescued this. I think this was in development for almost three years. Everyone kept passing mm, on it. Yeah. And then, of course, it's one of the best movies I think I've seen from this year. Oh, and I should also like add, like, so when I say it felt like it came at the tail end of an era, it did. it's because yeah. for some reason, I, it just felt like that black focus movie kind of receded. And like, and I, yes. think, I think there's two ways it receded. One was like, you had a movie like Save the Last Dance, which was about a white girl entering the black culture and that yeah. kind of then we got into these more mixed race things that further tokenize the black characters or it's like Save yeah. the Last yes. Dance is about a white girl that could do dance like black people that opened the doors to like the Step Up franchise which is really racially yeah. diverse and stuff and even like Fast and the Furious we did get these more diverse franchises between Step Up and Save the Last Dance but there wasn't these explicitly black focused films they, that kind yeah, of they were yeah. like Tyler Perry this exactly. is your job now it was like think, all of yeah. a sudden like, let, let, let the low budget stuff be handled by Tyler Perry and yeah. it was interesting how it was maybe like six seven years later when um what was that? Think like a man. All of a sudden, oh, yeah. made yes, everyone realize it's like, what happened to you know great black entertainment like that? You know, yeah. it was like yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. Love and basketball. I think the gap between love and basketball and think like a man was where we were like, what happened to black cinema, so to speak? Totally. I think it's also a compartmentalization, right? Like it, it in the '90s, you saw a lot of black cinema promoted to white audiences. Mm. This was not for black audiences yeah, yeah. and i think that that's the kind of switch in the 2000s became like okay well like this black romance is for black audiences only and we'll just play mostly at magic johnson cinema and like not come to canada for instance <laughs> like those tyler perry movies yeah, yeah. didn't used to play in canada uh, because they don't think black people are here uh but um yeah it's a it's it's very interesting. It's also the end. I think you're absolutely right. It's the, the capper on basketball. Like there's a massive boom in basketball movies in the nineties with like blue chips and space jam, as you mentioned. I mean, I went to, my brother was a basketball player. So I went to like the air up there, which people forget about like all these weird movies. Which one is that? My giant. That's Kevin Bacon goes to Africa to recruit oh, basketball and players. And was it Shaquille in it or? Uh, no, I don't even know. I, I don't, maybe like Dikembe Mutombo. Okay, okay. I think it was like a boat. Anyway, terrible basketball movies existed yeah. too. Slam Dunk Ernest is there. You know, they're all there. But uh, but they kind of end too weirdly, and now are just sort of coming back, except for maybe like inspirational coach movies. Yeah. Um, if yeah. we're talking about cappers, though, this is also one of the last 
actual grown-up date movies I can think of of this era. Mm. Because then we start moving into the terrible, like, mid-2000s, like, he's an asshole, she's an asshole. Can these two assholes make a perfect peanut butter chocolate of assholeness you'll actually want to get together? Um, And these are two people that you actually like, even though they have their flaws. And let's bring that actually into the romance scene that you wanted to talk about, Rad. Um, Because this is, I mean, we've talked about the basketball, we talked about the drive. This is a sexy fucking movie. Mm. Like, this is so hot. And it's gorgeous. And like, it's one of those movies where you genuinely do not know if they're going to get together at the end. They play it so well and it's so mysterious. And you're also good either way if they do or if they don't because these people are so complete on their mm-hmm. own. Well, I mean, like, I mean, look, what, what struck me about the sex scene is is just is the condom. It's like it's the yeah, fact sure. that it takes like, you know, like this is like I, I don't know another movie that takes a moment where the guy is like, oh, hold on, let me put on my condom. Uh, and then and then checks in on her as it starts. Like he's, yeah. he checks in. He's like, there's this tenderness where he's like, are you okay? Should I keep going or something like that? And that and it's like again, like this is something I would have just totally overlooked at the time. But I'm looking back at it now. It's like especially you know now you look back at it with the content you know in the post Me Too context. You look it back. It's like oh mm. how often you know typically in romantic movies and stuff you 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 a, a guy. The, the, the romance is in how aggressive and pursue, you know, like 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 the guy just yeah. grabs a girl and sweeps her away and it takes charge and that that's the sex scene, right? Where in this situation, it's like, does he even ask, like his childhood kiss? He asks her if he can kiss her, and then that yeah. that yeah. kind of carries over in the sex scene. Where he's like, okay, I'm gonna do this now, okay, and you know, like there's this gentleness that I mean, it, it, like it occurs to me how how essential, how amazing it was to have that in that kind of culture where you're seeing a lot of on-campus rape and stuff like that. And and mm-hmm. in at that moment where, um, you know, and, and also just like the, like taking note of the fact that this is a female who is directing this love scene and taking the time and care to do it right, to depict it right and depict it in a healthy way. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing I love about this is that this is about the character of Monica makes choices and you mm. watch her make the decision every step of the way. And even though those decisions may not be in her best interest later mm. on, and sometimes you have to yell at her for the decision she made because she's a real complicated character, you see her make those choices as opposed to having these things thrust on her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing with the love scene is he doesn't choose her, she chooses him. Yeah, yeah. She makes sure. that choice. And you don't get to see that in these kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, with the exception of when Harry met Sally to bring that back yeah. she chooses him at the end because he fucked up she also says that another big i mean the, the, her inspirations are very interesting when you hear her talk about them uh because i mean she's a super interesting person to hear talk yeah. but she really loved martin scorsese movies and she's like oh this is like me doing scorsese because he did his own life he talked about being italian american this is very the same but the other movie she also really loves is broadcast news which i think mm-hmm. you see a lot of which is kind of the same thing the woman sort of torn between what's good for her and what makes sense uh, and i've really driven woman but yeah I, I the other thing that's fascinating to hear about this love scene specifically is that it had so much trouble at the mpaa in spite yeah. of having no nudity or anything it was giving them a really harsh rating and what she says is really interesting that she had she realized what they wanted cut more than where the hands were more than any humping or anything was there was too many facial reactions right. she said it was showing too much like intimate pleasure between them and she found the more she took out long holds on their face the lower the rating became which is like just a, again a fascinating look at like women's sexuality like essentially Sanaa Lathan's character was enjoying herself too much and that made them up the rating uh, this, I mean this is going to bring us back to the episode we just did on but I'm a cheerleader where they almost got an NC-17 rating because of their completely no nudity under the covers fully clothed lesbian sex scene where sure. they looked like they were having a good time and they had to then um, make everything light colored and make it very clear they were wearing clothing and then they got an R based on it. So women's yeah. pleasure. No bueno yeah, on screen. Yeah, we don't no, want it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, I mean, like, again, black sex is always threatening to white people. Who sure. Yeah. Sure yes. All over the MPAA, right? Like, and, mm, and, and yes. I'm sure you've covered the issues with the MPAA in many, many episodes. Oh, no, no. Right? I mean, like, like, go into it. Go into it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so. yes. Uh, rated X by an all white jury. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's always been that way. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing that's very interesting is it was fairly revolutionary at the time to have like a black love story like this. Uh, Best Man comes out this year, also produced by Spike Lee. The Wood is like the year before, I believe. 
So it's like that that kind of genre, which we know is uh, it's a big genre, was not as huge. Uh, obviously, there's boomerang and stuff, but it's still not it's not quite the intimacy that you see in these movies mm-hmm. and, and the kind of sexual focus, I think. Movies like this can be very difficult unless there is actual chemistry between the characters and you're mm-hmm. watching these people grow. Like the film is set up in quarters and you're watching them in different stages of their life as they kind of have to grow up and then figure out how to be together and figure out who they are as people before they can come together as mm-hmm. a couple, which is like... Like, thank you, but what a hard, what a, what a difficult challenge to set up for yourself structurally to believe that these are grown-ups growing. And it's to the performance of um, both Sanaa and Omar Epps that, like, holy shit, you buy that they are the age they are as they kind of sure. travel through. And then the casting of the kids is so good mm-hmm. that you're like, yeah, 100% that little badass girl became this and this little guy who, like, had all the swagger became Omar Epps. Big girls can't play no ball ball better than you. And the way they play them is just such subtle shifts of point of view and the way their bodies move that you're like, yeah, I 100% believe that I have watched you grow for the last like what, 11 years? Something like that? It's crazy how good the casting is in this. Um, And I just want to bring us into that because there was a choice between Sanaa and a a Naisha Butler who was a top recruit out of high school and played for Georgia Tech. And she was a model. She had acted previously. She had good chemistry with Omar. And they were leaning towards her because she's an actual basketball player However, doing the movie would have pushed her out of her amateur status and she could no longer play college basketball, so she couldn't take it. Yeah. Okay. And that was, uh, to tie it to another movie, an interesting thing is the person who was really pushing for that was Spike Lee because he just made He Got Game starring a real basketball star. And he was like, that is so significant. And I mean, Gina is also a former basketball player and she was obsessed with being like, the basketball cannot look bad in this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which... It does not. No, Let's no. talk about the actual basketball. And one of the things I love about this is you're watching both uh, pro men and pro women play basketball. And they are. it's very clear that they are two totally different games. And the, the men and women are handled very differently within the games, especially when it comes to their attitude, which was just a fascinating point to me. But it isn't hammered over the head like women aren't allowed to be angry on the court. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like no. it's it's just she just keeps being punished for it and, gets, get, and has to kind of learn like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. I can't be like. Omar Epps' character. Look, I don't have it easy like you are, right? There's no red carpet laid out for me. Well, I mean, look, like, can I, and I'm going to praise something for both, that that applies to both this movie and the next movie, Girl Fight, is what what I love about both of them is that I feel like they show more of the work than other kind of sports movies, right? Like, I mean, I I don't know, and maybe I'm just kind of like, by uh, uh, kind of painting everything with a brush that that I or like you know like assuming everything is like rocky where it's like oh he's got to run up yeah. a mountain <laughs> and that's how he trains for this but no like I mean both of these movies like there's a lot of you see Santa Asana uh, like uh, her character like practicing in a court dribbling this yeah. that uh, girl fight same thing you see a lot of the work in the gym the bags the punches that they like but not 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 these extreme scenes where they run down a traffic street and everyone's kind of huddling around around them and stuff like that not these overly dramatic things just the day-to-day rigorous work that they put in to succeed in this in this uh, you know this man's world so to speak yeah. That's such a great point, Rad, because we were also talking about, weirdly, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, mm. and that you actually see them practice, and it's not just these magic, you know, beautiful things that appear of nothing. You see them sew the costumes. You see that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of filmmakers don't understand that there is a balance between showing how hard it was to get to this point to add stakes to that moment, because then it just doesn't become this magical thing they're already good at. You see how hard they work at that yeah. thing. And it's interesting yeah. that nobody's watching them when they're training, right? Like, Because like, mm-hmm. the key scenes in a movie like Creed is and Rock is like crowds are gathering around as this guy runs down the street same with Ali it's the same thing as like you know like there's a spectacle of their training whereas these girls in both of these movies they're in the, off in their corners no one's paying attention to them and they're working hard as, and we're the only ones noticing right yeah well and then also dealing with the sacrifice women are expected to make because they are the ones that are to make that sacrifice mm-hmm. in the relationship and and it is interesting so it, I really love the moment where their relationship goes wrong because it is a very complicated decision she makes where yes her boyfriend has now going through this incredible traumatic issue but if she misses curfew she doesn't get to play and then what does that mean right and I don't get to see genuinely complicated choices of what would someone do in that situation thrown at characters particularly often especially when a woman in a film like this would be expected to drop everything and spend the time with him to take care Mm -hmm. of him emotionally it's fascinating yeah I mean, I, I, that one was a lot more believable than the situation in Girl Fight. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Girl fight, I think girl fight is a bit more of like a you know a film film yeah. at times. It, it takes a, a little more tale. creative license. But yeah, and, and I think the, something you kind of pointed to, Becky, as well. Well, one thing I, I wanted to say, Rad, you the somebody that shares your sentiment about the sports aspect of this film is Roger Ebert, mm. who his review barely touches on the romance, <laughs> and he's just like, "This is the greatest movie about doing sports for a living yeah. and like sports as a yeah. skill ever." And he's just upset because you know he's a big like Chicago guy so he's he's in it and he loves it as a basketball movie i wonder if the reason why i i'm more focused on not just the sports and the work ethic but just sana sana lathan's character in general is i don't feel Mm. like i loved omar epps's character or that i bought it i didn't i didn't necessarily i don't think you're supposed to no but even like the chemistry wasn't working it comes naturally and he's uh he like he is a legacy Mm. it comes naturally and ultimately his lesson is that he doesn't really care about basketball like he he was made to care about basketball and he was naturally pretty good at it but that doesn't give him meaning and sana it's like yes it does yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's like his thing is like no no you need basketball <laughs> you you are not you without basketball yeah. and that's kind of the the cool thing and i mean that's the thing a lot of people point out too like she she trained for four months the, the crazy thing is she has this like love hate relationship with gina prince bythewood who now i think they're friends but i think at the time they kind of were like because gina prince bythewood made her she did the reading at sundance mm. and she made her audition for the reading after she had like quit a play she's like okay now you're now is your audition right, right, right. and then she also like she trained for four months or something she trained so long that stan lathan who was gina prince bythewood's like mentor called her and is like you are killing my daughter <laughs> <laughs> like you need to make a choice so a lot of people were like she became that character she was that driven right. and, and you see that in her and like the funny thing is i i, I i'm never gonna shit on her but i don't think sanaa lathan is always the greatest actress in a lot of her roles Mm. but if you look at this you wouldn't know it because she is so incredible and this is so outside of what she's usually cast as as well which is kind of fascinating now are you Uh, are you referring to like her work in alien versus predator I, I, yeah, she, I mean, she's not. She's not often in good movies. Yeah, yeah. It's yes, not, not maybe not her fault. Her fault yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like I mean, it's it's probably not her fault. I mean, again, um, like it's it's an interesting thing, right? Because like you look at the cast of this movie, and you look at how like you see Sanaa Lathan, and this is like an exceptional, exceptional performance. And you look at mm-hmm. she, you know, there's also Dennis Haber in this movie. There's also you know, uh, yes. like 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 there's these people who who could be nominated for Oscars given the right yeah. material. And Sanaa Lathan, I mean, especially was not given much great material throughout her career. Yeah. I mean, yes, she's finally going to appear in Succession season three. Like, you know, they're finally, but it's like, you know, I look at her yeah. as someone like, you know, similar to Regina Hall, who, you know, mm-hmm. Regina Hall is a fabulous actor. And I think people are only realizing that now because of yeah. uh, movies like Support the Girls and, and uh, you know, shows like, I mean, they're starting to realize what she's capable of beyond scary movie, even though she's incredible yeah. at scary movie and that needs its own, you know, <laughs> kind of recognition. <laughs> yes. But I, I mean... Coming to a podcast near you. Oh, there you go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so like, but like, that's the thing. Like, so Sanaa Lathan, it's, it, it's like, uh, I, I wonder what kind of, what we missed in her inability oh, totally. to get roles like you know, like beyond the, this kind of AVP and 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 black yeah. movie scene. Please yeah. allow me to point people towards Alfrey Woodward, who, mm. if you look at her uh, IMDb, is just incredible. And I, the part that I cried the hardest in, there are many parts I cried in this, but the part I cried the hardest in, she plays uh, Monica's mom, and um, it is such a credit to both her and to the screenwriter. So often I see, especially first-time screenwriters, um, rely on swearing and rely on. Um, like very, very big language in order to make their point. And what they do here is they make the word damn for the mother such a difficult, complicated word for her to use that when she uses it, you're like, oh shit, she means it. And she means it how that word is actually used. And any other, many other actresses would have just kind of glossed over it being like, it's the word damn, it doesn't mean that much. But for this character who has been complaining about the way Monica behaves and that sort of use of language and a moment before she's like, yeah, no. Are, are they cursing their mamas in Spain? Yeah, that's it. A yeah, yeah. And, line. Then, and then she says, "Damn!" And she tries no. to use it. You know, like it's like she knows what it means. And then mm. she says, "Damn!" And she means it. And you're like, "Ooh, that fucking hurts!" And because she's able to do that as an actor and has picked up that the writer has done that and used it that way, that's a fucking Oscar clip. It's stunning. I've never seen anyone pick up language quite like that. Mm. You never stood up for yourself, ever. I was ashamed it was because of that. 
That is ridiculous. What's ridiculous is not being a caterer. So your husband can feel like a man knowing his woman's home cooking and ironing his drawers. Damn it! Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a great cast throughout, and I think you see a lot of, like, Al, Al, Alfre Woodard is one of the, you know, she's an Oscar nominee already, and, yeah. and, but somebody like Dennis Haysbert, who was, has been around since 1970-whatever, I do think that this movie takes him to another level, Agreed. because he's, he suits that role so wonderfully. All the casting is, is so good. Yeah. Well, in that it's regard. not one dimensional. Sorry. I, I just want like, because yeah. the thing is it's like what I really appreciated that is that it refused to put this sort of misogynistic or this, this dad who slips up and, or doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. respect women the way he should. It doesn't make him a villain. It doesn't, it doesn't make it put no. him in an easy box. It's like, it's like, this is like, you know, like, and like, I mean, I think one, one thing we can criticize this movie about is sort of some of its backwards, uh, like mentality towards women who want to have sex. Like, you know, like, I don't sure. think the Gabrielle union character comes off that well. Yes. I mean, there's a bit of a, there's yeah. a bit of slut, sh- there's slut shaming. Actually, no, it's sure. not a bit. There's slut shaming in this, in this uh, movie. And, uh, but it's, but it's like, so uh, that's something that we'd have to kind of work through or, or acknowledge and stuff. But, but I think it's interesting that, you know, this man who betrays his family, they don't make him an easy villain. I think, uh, especially no. when you consider the complicated relationships between fathers and sons in general, especially in this culture and stuff, I think it was really rich to see a generous supporting dad who did not want to become a father who did not yeah. even want to be a husband, but somehow keeps pushing himself to work through it and improve and he'll fuck up, but you know, he'll try again. Yeah. And I heard somebody in a talk uh, about the movie say rightfully along with that, that, you know, a cornier movie would have made him dislike his mother throughout. Mm. Like he, they would have made Debbie Morgan the villain and he would have loved his dad and then he would have found out his dad is bad. But they make it complicated enough that he likes both parents. And then even like they make it that Dennis Haysbert, you know, shows up when he is out of his life and, and is still like a good man. Mm. And you're like, oh. And I think to go back to way back to what we started talking about, uh, he, I, I think that. I like I actually like that tinge of kind of slut shaming and where sex is because it's like this interesting look at like the, the male and female dynamics generally. But I think especially around basketball because you he is very like Dennis Haysbert. One of the big things is and his and Debbie Morgan, honestly, they're both very worried about him getting like trapped, mm-hmm. you know, like the, that the the woman, a woman is going to see his potential. So I think also him bringing out that condom is kind of a loaded moment because it's this guy acknowledging that like every time he has sex, he needs to make sure that this woman, <laughs> it's not some woman trying to get pregnant. And you have the, the flip side where they talk about uh, the women basketball players talk about, you know, X player getting pregnant and leaving. And that's actually one thing. I, I'm kind of like uh, they get to kind of have their cake and eat it too at the end because she gets to be in the WNBA and have a kid, mm, and I'm yeah. like, and I'm not sure that would have been. I think she might have she might have put off having a kid longer if she thought that she had a chance at, at pro basketball. Yeah, but I mean, I think like if they were to like, I mean, acknowledge the slut shaming thing in a more mature way, they mm-hmm. should have also given maybe the the, the Gabrielle Union character more, uh, yeah, like like more depth or something or more complexity or like, you know, given someone oh, yeah. of that type of character more of a chance yes. to have their <laughs> own moment, right? She'll get more in Bring It On, which is the same <laughs> year. We'll be talking about it next episode. You did not call me for the Bring It On episode? <laughs> Fuck that. We're talking about it now. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, the other fascinating, great uh, Gabrielle Union story is Gabrielle Union um, was a pretty great basketball player, <laughs> and she auditioned for the role of Monica, and she showed up, and Gina Prince Bythewood was just like, uh, no, you, you don't look like it. <laughs> and she's like, what? And she's like, well, I got another role for you. <laughs> and then Gabrielle Union in some talk is like, so I guess I gave off real ho vibes, which is <laughs> great. And then the other great story is that Tyra Banks, and this is a fairly early uh, thing for her, but her casting is what allowed them to shoot overseas because uh, Virgin Air was like, if you make Tyra Banks a Virgin Air stewardess, <laughs> it's enough promotion for us. We will fly you and the crew wherever. So that's how they did all those Spain sequences. Oh my God. Because they got, because this is a, it's a, it's an indie movie. Yeah, it's a little yeah, yeah. movie, but it's a little movie that gets to shoot in Barcelona for a bit. 
that virgin era virgin obviously was everywhere because we just talked about dracula 2000 and uh, virgin mm. is all over that movie but they didn't get any money from it they got a 30 percent discount one day to film in the virgin Wait, mega well, store they were giving all their discounts to gina was tyra banks <laughs> that famous back then because i mean at that time like i only remember her from fresh prince she was a supermodel yeah, just just model but i think fresh prince was her, kind of her big break acting wise yeah. I, I don't know that she was because when was like uh i can't think of when she was the doll come to life for disney channel that Life was kind size. of a, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I, okay. That, that. That's not your, uh, you're, you're, you're a little old for that one. I think. <laughs> but, but that's something I think is really interesting because that adds a meta level to this of like, he ends up with a literal supermodel. Like <laughs> she's sweet. She's a literal supermodel. And here's someone, you know, who's, who's working her ass off and who is a gorgeous woman, but is yeah. not a supermodel. Monica. Oh, you guys grew up together, right? Well, Quincy's told me all about you. So then, you know, what is he going for? What's the competition become? It's, God, I love this movie. I'm going back to watch it again as soon as we're done here. I just like it so much. So I think that's just about everything for this segment. So when we come back, we're going to look at a movie that tied for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance in 2000 and won the Best Director category to boot. But it almost didn't get made. That's coming up after the break. Well, we're going to get into that. Rad, let's talk Girl Fight. What's this one about? Ah, well, so Girl Fight is about a girl in New York City growing up <laughs> in the projects, played by Michelle Rodriguez. So uh, Latino representation there, which very rare Latino representation. Mm. Uh, and she, uh, so basically she, you know, she, she's not your typical girl. In one scene, she tells someone she didn't make the cheerleading team. She gets into fights at school. Uh, she, she has a, she comes from a home a somewhat broken home her mother uh actually won't give away too much of that stuff right but basically she sure. finds her calling in a boxing ring okay she she uh, she happens upon a gym uh gets uh, taps the dude to tra- the one of the coaches of the gym to start training her and then and then she starts uh, working her way up in kind of the amateur boxing ranks uh and and in, mid- in, mid- in between all that there is a love story between her and one of the one of her fellow boxers which which I don't know. Can I just give away that? Of course, it ends up. It, 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 it all yeah. leads to this lovely little contraption where the t- her and her boyfriend have to fight each other for the yes. final, <laughs> fi- the final championships or whatever, the amateur finals. I like the convention. I'm <laughs> yeah. just gonna. Wait, say hold on. It. I, I like I, I like what it ends up serving. We'll get to that. But did I did I catch everything there? Is that good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she has a little brother. That was in Captain Friends. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Named Tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not an ironic name. He actually is. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, that's kind of exactly what this is. We should mention this is uh, both a debut film mm. uh, for Karen Kusama as well as for Michelle mm-hmm. Rodriguez. This is her first film. And her very next movie was going to be The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> like, it's mm. an immediate, which uh, she refers to in interviews as Red Line. Yeah, Apparently I like that. The, Line. We yeah. learned the, the previous name of it. But yeah, this is, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm always obsessed with bringing this movie up is it's just like, you know, the party trick of like, did you? You know that Michelle Rodriguez started off as 
like a, a hit naturalistic actor in independent <laughs> cinema. Hey, she's still yeah. a naturalistic actor in the Fast sure. and Furious franchise. She's yeah. the only one. Right? Yes, I, I think I, I think I'm kind of fascinated to go back to this. It's like, yeah, Michelle Rodriguez is very good at what she does. Mm-hmm. It's a narrow thing that she does, but if you put her in the right project, she nails yeah. it. And there's like no question. Well, can, can we jump? Okay, like I mean, obviously this yeah. is a boxing movie we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, you could talk about how hard, how furious uh, Michelle Rodriguez trained to play, to star in a boxing mm-hmm. movie. And that shows even in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Okay, yeah. if we're talking about the Fast and Furious franchise, look at what is the greatest fight scene in the entire Fast, all nine Fast and the Furious movies from when they were <laughs> racing cars in on highways to flying cars into space. The greatest <laughs> fight scene is Michelle Rodriguez versus Gina Carano in Fast and Furious 6. Okay, like they, and sure. it's because it's a real fight scene. Like they are gritty. Yeah. <laughs> they're scrub. Michelle's training really kicks in there, and it is a real fight performance. None of the dudes could do it. None of the dudes. None no. of their fights. Like Vin Diesel and The Rock is such <laughs> theatrical bullshit. They're just like their faces <laughs> are too pretty, Rad. They yeah, can't yeah. wreck their faces. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a kickboxer. I love it, but I can't. Are you a kickboxer? I can't break the nose. But I, I dabble. Oh, yes, I like it very much. But yeah, I can't. But it, but it, that's the thing. Is like a lot of times you can't hit the face and so yeah. a lot of these people just can't go as hard in those stunts as they want to because you know the the rock's a very pretty man uh-huh. he can't he can't hey, hurt it. hey yeah. michelle rodriguez is a cute girl who then who really tussles okay she puts keys yeah. between her fists and shit and she goes after it okay with gina carano <laughs> lets gina carano twist her this way and that way and they they, yeah. they do it, man. It was Well, let's talk about the training. Are you ready sure, for this? Yeah. So it sure. was four and a half months at Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. So every morning, two and a half mile for a run. And then you jump rope for half an hour. And then you have to do uh, shuffles around the ring for another hour. You get out. You hit the speed bag for another hour. Then you spar. And then you're doing calisthenics. And while you're doing the sit-ups, you're th- they're throwing 20-pound uh, sand balls on your stomach. Mm-hmm. That's-, That's what she did for four and a half months. Now, I'm curious. Do you think any of that appeared in the film of that training? Because we were talking about in the, in yeah, the previous half of this episode about. I how don't much. think they had. Honestly, I don't know if they had the budget oh, for that. Oh, interesting. I mean, I would yeah. have just to, to have run the, with to the have camera, thing right? for one day. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you I would mean, think I it's can... not like Britney runs a marathon, you know, where they're following the actual yeah. progress. Well, yeah, I mean, of, uh, I guess we have yeah. to take people back twenty years and remember, remind them that they were shooting things on film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like the cost was the film yeah. more than anything. I, I, the other, th- like, it's very fascinating. There's a lot of contemporaneous re- uh, interviews and stuff, and it's very fascinating to hear Michelle Rodriguez be kind of uncomfortable with how much she trained and how jacked she was. And she was also she was the one who Karen Kusama wanted her to like shave her head and be like a, like quite a bit more masculine. Oh, like, Jane, that oh, shit. Me- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was like, "Let me keep my hair. Let me look pretty." And it's like. Wow, like does modern Michelle Rodriguez like it's like modern Michelle Rodriguez seems like she kept up that training for the rest of her damn life. <laughs> and in the in the day she's like, oh, I felt really butch and like a like a dude, and it's like, okay. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing, right? That's kind of the unfortunate thing where it's like you you get you peg yourself as this tough girl and brand yourself that mm-hmm. way, and the doors just close on you in Hollywood, yeah. right? Like they never consider you for the romantic lead as such, right? They never. I mean, what did Demi Moore do after she shaved her head and thing? Like, that was the career ender for yeah, that film probably. that film totally bailed yeah yeah she tried did she come back with striptease cam it seems like I something you would like know uh, no i think before. those were around the same time yeah okay yeah, and her comeback to in my memory was uh, Charlie's Angels too, which is like that, that was kind like, of that when was we already were all like, like a kind of a nostalgia trip, right? Like that yeah, was, yeah. That, there was like it a, was like her dating Ashton Kutcher that whole era. Yeah, remember that? So like, listen, yeah. I'm just double checking. Striptease is '96, and GI Jane was '97. So yeah, GI Jane. Yeah. Okay. And that's I mean that's the thing though. It's like it's because I mean look look like I I see how so many female celebrities. Why do they have to protect? any bad images of themselves why do they have to protect you know like why do they have to like protect themselves from uh, photos take paparazzi photos where they're not in makeup and stuff and like it it just kills this this uh, apparent in pop culture apparently it kills like the 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 way people view these these women and there it kills Mm -hmm. their opportunities at kind of the romantic roles the the sexy whatever like i don't don't want to get into like well that's a fine line though right because you think about charlie's theron and monster and going ugly and then winning a bunch of oscars for it same with nicole kidman in the hours provided that that you could say cover and it's like oh that's prosthetic like that's not me (laughs) we should be said nicole kidman and karen kusama's destroyer yes 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 yes, very true it is interesting to me that both karen kusama as well as 
that Gina Prince Blythewood, uh, both of them also worked with Charlize Theron in action movies directly after doing these films, which sure. is a really interesting little thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, but I mean, the, the, and then the other thing that's interesting, like when we talk about, yeah, like nobody considers her the romantic lead, but in real life, she dated Zac Efron. She did the romantic thing. Are you uh, talking about Michelle, Michelle Rodriguez? Rodriguez? Oh, yeah, see, Michelle Rodriguez and Zac Efron dated for a while. Oh, so it's like, like recently. So it's like, yeah, she's she's doing the the rom com IRL. She doesn't need it on screen. Um, but yeah, and the other th- interesting thing is that she's just such a confident person and very confident in not caring what you think about her look and her style. And in interviews, she's like, yeah, I stopped caring about that when I was 17. <laughs> and it's like, all right, damn, you're way ahead of us. Like, tell us who your therapist is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a great inf- interview with her um, and Karen Kusama on Charlie Rose. Put a pin in that one. Um, but it was interesting watching. Um, this is the first time she's on the, the like the actual talk show circuit. She was a background performer before this. Mm-hmm. She showed up for the for a cattle call audition. There was 350 other girls and she got picked out of it for to play this role. She was going to give up acting entirely and she shows up and she's just like yeah I don't really like this whole fame thing I just like to do movies this kind of shit's fun mm. for me and she just comes off so effortless mm. that it's charming like yeah. it's Jennifer Lawrence sort of like I don't care I just show up and I'm the cool girl sort of energy mm. which we as a people mm-hmm. love yeah yeah she was getting Oscar uh, buzz for this too, even though it never oh, sure. would have happened. But she was getting buzz for it. But it's a great performance, right? I mean, it's great. It's like, yeah. And here's yeah. the like, like if we, could, we talk about the way this. I mean, can I, I'm just gonna give like my own kind of experience of this movie, sure. right? Because it's like again, same year. I was 18 years old. Uh, I don't know who reviewed in the Toronto Star, but I probably read a review in the Toronto Star. Went downtown to see this movie, and it was interesting to me. And I again, now this is something I also mentioned to you before, Becky. Is is like it's it was it was this was all of a sudden became the definition of the Sundance movie to me because maybe this was mm-hmm. now yeah. the first movie where I'm like, oh, they're talking about it because it, it won some prizes at some festival called Sundance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the fuck that is, but I'll go see this movie. And then it became the definition of the Sundance movie. And and a lot of the movies that, you know, that I identify with Sundance movies kind of followed through with telling stories about underrepresented neighborhoods. Like, you know, I mean, in mm-hmm. New York City, mm-hmm. like, like you you have this movie and then you had uh, Raising Victor Vargas come out just soon sure. after and you're getting these Latino stories about people who live in the yeah. Bronx and Harlem. Uh, another one, which isn't, uh, the diversity aspect isn't exactly there, was uh, the, the Believer starring Ryan Gosling, yeah. which is, you know, it's it's the movie that American History X wishes it was, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's like, uh, but like, the, so this is like, I had this really high impression of Sundance based on this era of movies because they were telling story, stories about people who I never saw in movies anymore. Uh, and then at a certain point that shifted Right. All of a sudden, Sundance got very Wes Anderson-y, which, you know, like yeah. it's like yeah. every yeah. every movie felt like it was trying to be this quirky, you know, like comedy about like white kids growing up weird. Uh, and mm-hmm. and that, that that just seems to be the Sundance. Brand. And it, again, all these movies kind of overinflated. It's like, oh, you know, any yeah. any half competent movie is all of a sudden like seismic. Um, that's what you know like so that that was the shift so girl fright was kind of this kind of moment where i felt like there was a sort of purity in the idea of sundance movie like there's an actual real sense of discovery we're discovering karen kusama we're discovering michelle rodriguez and we're discussing whatever the hell happened to the people behind raising victor vargas i keep mentioning that one because i really genuinely (laughs) love that movie that was great and i don't know where the hell you know and was there something called kissing jessica stein yes there is that's one of my favorite movies yeah see and like that was a sundance one too right it's like what the fuck happened to those movies Oh, I think you you also really nailed like because we in, in our podcast we talked about like like you said before the kind of big representation boom in the early ni- late eighties early nineties which came from independent and there was like a Latino aspect there was a an Asian aspect we've talked about and there was a black aspect and then that all just got shut down by Hollywood real hard mm-hmm. all those directors kind of didn't go on to much because everyone wanted and- to make fucking Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, pretty much. But then I think you see it again right now in this like 2000s mm-hmm. era of Sundance because yeah, within the next few years beyond that there's also like uh, Real Women Have Curves which gives you uh, America Ferrera, there's Better Luck Tomorrow which is like a huge uh, again return for Asian filmmakers and Asian actors. But then you're right, it totally goes away. <laughs> and now I, I mean the other thing is Sundance uh, ter- has now turned into this pipeline to Netflix. So even if it is a good movie, yeah, yeah. half it's the time buried. it just gets buried under you know season three of whatever didn't we discover the fast and furious guy justin lynn at sundance with yeah what was his movie that's better luck tomorrow that's better luck tomorrow oh the the high the high school heist movie with the asian kids yeah 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 that's what sundance was at a certain point right it it basically gave birth to the fast and the furious franchise 
Totally, totally. <laughs> nothing, nothing and, like, Sundance like, made since <laughs> has done that. The fuck does Wes Anderson could do? Yeah, that, there might be like little things here and there, but you're right. Uh, and yeah, uh, if it makes you feel better, uh, the guy who did Raising Victor Vargas did Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Did Freeheld. He's around. He's around. <laughs> He's doing all right. <laughs> but I mean, speaking about people who are around, though, I mean, look at both of these movies. You, you mentioned Karen mm-hmm. Kusama and mentioned, uh, and we were talking about Gina Pr- Prince Blythewood in the previous, in the first half of this it's like think about their careers after Mm -hmm. these two movies you know these are two significant accomplishments that again i am also guilty of kind of sleeping on gina prince by the way after seeing that not appreciating it and these two filmmakers i feel like they kind of disappeared no and they they have worked so this compared to other things we have seen on this podcast trust me they did way better than most people because it's like for me it's like it's all of a sudden everyone brought them back into the limelight after the whole me too thing and all of a sudden karen sama gets destroyer Gina Prince Bythewood comes back with like the the new action movie that you mentioned with Charlize Theron and stuff uh, and stuff like that. What were they doing in, be- in between then? So in between, they actually kind of have two different tracks, which is interesting. Gina Prince Bythewood is always very big at saying, "Oh, I had opportunities. I'm just very picky." Mm. She she is very big at shutting down. I have not been given opportunities because she's only really made like four movies. Uh, she made Beyond the Lights. She made Secret Life of Bees. Uh, she made The Old Guard. She did some TV stuff, but she comes from TV. She she like came from a long background of writing and directing TV. She wrote on Felicity. Uh, she wrote on like Different World, I think. And, yeah. and so she is literally like she will never do a project if it is not perfect. If she doesn't have the cast, doesn't have the script, yada yada yada. Karen Kusama was fully director's jail. She turned Girl Fight into Eon Flux, which you might remember, uh, the Charlize Theron. Oh, that's the uh, movie you uh, were talking about when you said action movie with Charlize Theron. Yeah, yeah, uh. yes, Eon Flux. And then she did Jennifer's Body, which oh, everyone yeah. put too much money into and it didn't do enough at the box office. Now it's kind of been reclaimed. It's I, fantastic. I, I love yeah. Jennifer's and, Body. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of fascinated. Like, I think that there's a lot of, like, a, a real stan army for Karen Kusama, but they don't really come for Girl Fight. And I was actually asking Emily Gagne, our coworker, because she's like, you know, big film Twitter person. I was like, do, do they like that movie? And she's like, it's interesting. A move, interestingly, a movie like about women by a woman, woman. But she said she showed it at the Muff Society, and the the, the audience was mostly men. Because mm. I think it's also like you mentioned with the previous movie. This is like the crunchiest, most technical boxing movie <laughs> almost ever. It's like yeah. amateur boxing. Almost all the fights are decided on points rather than knockouts. It's like it, it has this weird streak, much like Love and Basketball, that is very like skill based technical boxing, and that was kind of fascinating. And and I know Becky, you dug up a, a, a boxer who did not like this film, but oh, yeah. uh, Emily said that she had boxers introducing the film who all really considered it like one of the one of their favorite boxing movies. If I may, the issue that the that the person had. So if you want to go have a look at it, it's on uh, brooklynrail.org. I'm just looking up who the writer was. Uh, Anju Rishsingani. I My significant apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, which I probably am. She's a boxer who boxes in Brooklyn. Um, and her biggest issue with the thing was that it was men and women boxing as opposed to focusing on what an actual... Um, and that, that they were portraying Michelle Rodriguez as this unicorn, as a woman who boxed. Um, and that there actually is a significant community of women women who box in especially in and around Brooklyn and that was mm. her biggest issue was it was it was she saw it was flawed feminism in that you would have to pair men and women boxing instead of just showing how amazing these women's boxing bouts are ignoring however i think what a fascinating crunchy very difficult to chew on subject it is that you have mm. a movie with men and women boxing in matches and you're also dealing with incredibly brutal domestic violence plot lines mm. so it's like Oh, that's yeah. Well, I interesting. think interesting. Yeah, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, also knowing how Karen Kusama's career works and, and hearing her talk about this film, she's interested in like the subject of violence quite often throughout all her films, and and I think she she talks about it and I can kind of see it from that lens. Like I think boxing is a means to an end. She did boxing cause she was interested in it, but she's very interested in how women and violence kind of interact. And, and this movie is a lot about like how, how does a violent wim- woman, you know, hone that 
and then also, you know, not apologize for that. Mm-hmm. It's it's never about, interestingly, this movie has way less, uh, Love and Basketball still does bother to have the, like, comb out your hair, put on a dress, you look beautiful. Uh, Girl Fight does not have that. Well, <laughs> Nor she, does she's it have... very focused on getting her hair braided. True, true. <laughs> she does, but she seems I like mean, she does that, that There's a functionality constantly. to it, but I mean, yeah. I think there's also, and, and like, I mean, there's the, a cute aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's and, personal preference, Rad. <laughs> there, there's also the, like, kind of uh, interesting thing to me where she, like, has a falling out with her girlfriend, but it's solved as easy as falling out with girlfriends are, where it's like, ah, I'm sorry, and the other girl's like, I'm sorry, and they're like, all right, we're fine. Yeah, but the falling <laughs> like, out not... is also based on the fact that she won't braid her hair. Yeah, that's the argument. I think that her hair braiding hair. is, is right? boxing functional. She needs her hair braided so nobody can grab onto it, you know? I mean, yeah, there's so much attention, especially with the first movie, Love and Basketball, about, like, combing out mm-hmm, her hair mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's a very important scene in those kinds of movies, yeah. right? Like, like how you do that. And I feel like there's... It's interesting, the girl fight. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Her. But, I mean, it just never has the, like, oh, you're beautiful. Like, it's kind of... It, it, right. Her beauty and her sexuality is a part of her being a boxer. Like, that that guy wants to have sex with her because she's a great boxer. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> she's good and hot. That, that just makes me think of... The, the 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 very contrived sure. fight between her and him. I don't want to dismiss what mm. you were talking about. I would think that's an amazing point about uh, Becky, especially when you were talking about like you know like the fact that you know, they they want to show the violence mm. between men and women, like you know in the domestic abuse situation, but also in this ring. But what I loved about this is that it it gave us a chance to see boxing in a very sexy yeah. way. Like the way they fight, yeah. like the the way Karen Kusama shoots that scene. Is actually very yeah. seductive. It's a it's one of the most seductive boxing scenes I've ever seen. Like the the close, the, a lot of the hugging, the grabbing. I love you. I really do. And it's like it's it's something that I think Gina uh, Prince by the way tries to achieve also in Love and Basketball. That final mm-hmm. when they play basketball together at night, and I don't think it's shot no. as well. And that then in Love and Basketball, I think Karen Kusama nails it better. I mean, and maybe it's because boxing and the aggressive, like you know, that close contactedness of it makes it easier to to get that to capture that sensuality, right? But it's interesting that both of them try to achieve yeah, that, try to use totally. that sports thing to be like the it's closeness, sex. yeah, the closeness, the touching, yeah. <laughs> that actually is was the impetus for her making this film was because she was boxing, she is a boxer, and she was uh, sparring a man at the gym, and he kept coming into her as they were going, going, you can mm. hit me, you know you can hit me, go ahead and hit me. And she was like, there is something incredibly yeah. erotic about this, <laughs> that you can have this like conversation, and yet you're so physically intimate with someone, but there's like this mixture of like the chocolate peanut butter of pleasure and pain. It's great. So yeah, like I can totally see that kind of sewn throughout it, and the fact that it translates speaks to her being an effective director. This was made for a million dollars in 24 days Mm. which is fucking bonkers to me that you could do something this complex with this many moving pieces in that short amount of time totally and and it's not like bound to you would think that that thing is like it's all set in the gym (laughs) you don't see their life outside of it like yeah no there's school they go to different people's houses uh they're all over new york but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a very fascinating movie, and again, I think that there's something to be said for both of these films where they had that four month kind of prep period athletically, which I think allows you to be more improvisational and have all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of that. I mean, you, there's a great like listing that Patrick Cady, the cinematographer, built a rig that could be punched. So it kind of gave a little more, you know, you always, it's always great to check a cinematographer for a boxing movie because they always come up with some new dang thing. The guy from Creed came up with like nine things. <laughs> it's it's always fun. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I mean, boxing is also a wild one because you always hear that the actors get really knocked out and stuff. Uh, there's a great uh, story that uh, in a retrospective screening, uh, the... Douglas Santiago, the guy she's fighting, said said that he really punched her once, and she and she was like, "Yeah, he accidentally punched me once." She's like, "No, I did it on purpose. You were like getting a little big for your britches." And they're like, "Michelle Rodriguez went silent for a full minute, just like it's like, oh shit, she's gonna punch that guy out in the parking lot." Is she like uh, a year later? Uh, but yeah, no, I I don't know. It's cool. This is definitely one. I think we're saying both of these are movies that hold up. More people should see them. More people should be aware of them. They're pretty. They're pretty special films. Yeah, I mean, hey. 
like Girlfight was the first DVD, one of the first DVDs wow. I ever owned. Okay, and that's by the way, did you guys have any trouble yes, finding you it know online? What? Yes. Yeah, because I was I was like going, I was initially just gonna like stream it. I was like, oh, it's not no. on a streaming service. I couldn't, you can't even rent it on Apple. Boy, am I glad I have yeah, the DVD. Yeah, just me it's in there. By yeah. the way, I yeah, wonder because you know we well what we didn't quite talk about was like it, this was a movie that it had weird funding issues and the funding really dropped out last minute. Uh, Karen Kusama was John Sale's assistant at the time. She kind of developed it with sales. He swooped in with a little money and the other people that swooped in was uh ifc and ifc kind of exists kind of doesn't exist anymore and i wonder if the rights are just kind of up in the air because yeah i i was shocked to find it wasn't around i know a couple years ago when we shot the show it was on hoopla so i think it, it's kind of around but yeah it's it's time for somebody to put out a blu-ray of girl fight i think it's like it's it's it deserves it or or convince me to host a host up uh sure, a screening yeah in, in, in the park yeah, I convinced yeah. you that. <laughs> I It's going to take some dollar signs in front of those Are you words. saying they should master it off the DVD you own? Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think at that moment, we are done with this episode, unfortunately. I had a great time. Cameron Maitland, I always have a great time with you. Thank you for coming. Oh, yes. Yeah. Always a delight. And Rad, welcome to the show. It was so nice to have you. How can people find you and your work? Uh, thank you. Oh, listen, first of all, thank you, too, for having me. This was so much fun, and I, want, I hope oh, we great. can do this again um no where you can find me just follow me on twitter or on instagram at just say rad i try to post everything i do but i i mean so but i mean okay so i am the film critic for ctv's your morning and friday and and then on friday evenings on uh, i have a friday flick segment on ctv news i'm the pop culture columnist for cbc radio uh whatever in every basically city in canada and <laughs> then <laughs> and i am the culture editor of now magazine so those are the three different places that you could find my work. And I have to say that my taste is similar to yours because I know if you like something, I generally will like it. And if Ooh. you do not like something, I generally will not. So you are one of my followers. And I'm Thank like, okay, you. did Rad Thank like it? Okay, worth my time. Let's go. You might be okay. the only person who watches my stuff. <laughs> I... Like, what did you say? You see me in your laundry room? My laundry room, yeah. I am coming to that laundry room room, because I'd like to see myself too, and I'd like to see who else watches, because I feel like that might be the only place. Listen, I I once got nail salons. I always know (laughs) what I've done the right spot when people are like, I was doing my nails. You You know, actually, like more of my family, I I got family responding when they saw me in a Hollywood sweet commercial. I was like, I was like, whoa, we we, we made it somewhere. (laughs) We're everywhere, mom. We're on Hollywood sweet. We're being watched by hundreds of thousands (laughs) and you can join us next week for the penultimate episode of this season where things are about to get spooky and aren't what they seem that's what lies beneath and the cell coming up next week Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Want to email the podcast? You can do so at podcast at hollywoodsuite.ca. Want to chat with us and find more great content from Hollywood Suite? Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial-free, Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen on 4 HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cam Maitland. Today's guests were Cam Maitland and Rad Simon Pillay. Supervising producer is Ryan Maines. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kumaria. Creative consultant is Emily Gagne. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.